of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Hello, 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 and surprise, surprise, dear listeners of the Unbelievable Hours podcast. Welcome to the surprise drop episode, middle of the week. We just sneak it into your feed because we wanted to bring this one to you despite the somewhat ideal audio quality on the end of our guest. This is an interview with the personal friend of Ashamine, Scott Renneberg, who worked across a variety of marketing jobs in a large, large consulting firm. Uh, we, we all sort of worked at during some points in time. And um, he just has the people management and the stakeholder management we so often refer to down to a point. So we thought we'd interview him about his career progression, bit of an unusual format, I'll admit, for this podcast as well, and see what insights you might glean from how Scott generally handles assignments engages people and gets the job done. And I think it's it's worthwhile maybe listening to, right? Despite, again, the audio issues. So uh, here it is, enjoy. And, uh, you know, if you do like it, maybe drop us a comment, a note, whatever, um, to let us know to bring you more of those sort of a bit more personal story interviews. Should we should we talk about the thing then, yes. um, yeah. Scott? Because my, I had no precise questions, but my idea was we could record a little episode. Uh, so how did you get started? in a marketing role in consulting. Where did they hire you out of? What did you do before? I, I forgot. What was I doing in London before? No, no, in Sydney. What... In Sydney. So I was working for a major health insurance company called Australian oh, okay. Beauty. Yeah. And I was working in marketing doing this similar things. Okay. And then, then you moved to Accenture in the financial services team there, right? Actually, it was um, CMT at the time, communications, media and technology. And it was, it was really my time there, which set me up for the rest of the time in Accenture. It was the, the contacts that I built in London um, for the five years that I was working there, both in the marketing team and in the business. Um, that has led me to really be sitting here today, you know, uh, in a senior manager role I had, um, a really great business lead who really pushed me to do a lot of things, um, not just in the UK and a higher level, but he saw opportunity for me to get involved with things in the, in the European level and then um, in the, at the global level. So he helped to sort of uh, make connections for me to move up, not only in the business, but in marketing as well. And I really owe a lot of my career progression back to him, back to those days, back to the projects that I worked on with him um, and his vision for what he wanted to do. All right. So that, that's an interesting insight regarding the, the network and stuff. But what when you say project you work on, can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like what, yeah. what type of stuff did you do? So my role within CMT uh, was internal communications for okay. the UK and Ireland. So it was keeping, um, it was really engaging people before people engagement was even uh, a word um, across about six major cities in the UK and Ireland. And Andy was very keen on 
big moment in time events, which meant that he was really keen to bring a lot of people together at one moment and he launched strategies and he wanted people to feel as if they were part of a greater network. So one of the things that I did was um, create sort of a, a, an event where we hooked up Manchester, Dublin, London, Leeds, and, and a few other uh, um, and a few other locations um, to launch one of the big, the biggest strategies and then to celebrate some of the successes that we'd had. And uh, he, at a very late stage of organising it, couldn't. MC the event, so he asked me to MC it for him. And I was just a, I mean, I was just a contractor working in London at the time. I mean, I, I knew quite a lot of people in the office, but everybody from Dublin or whatever, they wouldn't have known me. But I really had no choice. I had to MC this event, and uh, I, I sort of saw it as <laughs> like I was hosting Eurovision. It felt like I was hosting Eurovision. And I was, it really scared me. At the, at, at the time, I was um, really nervous about it. I remember being, I hardly slept the night before because there was a lot of technical things that had to go right at the same day. At the same time, I am the organizer of the event, but now I have to emcee it as well. So I have to run it from a, te a technical point of view and then make sure that everything happens. Oh, so, right. I did it, and it was a bit of a sink or swim moment where I thought I'm either going to falter and everybody's going to see that I am super nervous, which I was, um, mm -hmm. to host this event in front of 600 people, or it will pay off for me, and it paid off, luckily. Nice. So so a quick summary here, because I think it's an interesting perspective, is to having a taking a role where the job is sort of shaping communications and building programs and stuff, they are directed uh, towards the, the the people in the firm, so internal communications, right? Not marketing towards clients and so yeah, forth. Exactly. But I think they, the 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 rest of the stuff pro probably very much similar or the same. And then yours has a has a strong event component. But um, yeah. it's an interesting thing because Ash and I often talk about the maybe even underappreciated. I'm not going to say underappreciated because most people understand it. But it's the the lever you can pull if you activate people inside the firm to tell a story or like yeah. in your point to, to understand the strategy, that's quite long. It's quite powerful to, to do that. Yeah. And uh, when you're talking about like, you know, how you got into this whole role and how, you know, the person who hired you or rec recommended you talked about transferable skills, it would be good because a lot of people who are trying to break into professional services and you know, marketing or the others would like to know what are these transferable skills and mm. let's let's talk about both you know the hard skills and the soft skills because mm. especially if you're like supporting leaders and doing uh, internal comms there's a lot of yeah soft skills required there i agree i mean i think that there is a lot of soft skills in terms of how to uh, manage or network with people. Accenture is a matrix organization, which is yeah. makes things extremely complex, but it also opens up doors. It's a people business. And if it's really always been the people that you know, and if you can build the right relationships and you can demonstrate that you can add value, um, that's what will open doors to you. It's, it's, it really is who you know. I mean, to your think, point, Ash, about technical skills. Technical skills are part of it, but it's it's mm -hmm. it's sort of you know very much fifty fifty. Yeah. Oh, I like that ratio because I was going to say. So, firstly, the matrix organization—that's very true for many or most firms, right? Even yeah. the smaller ones. 
And then we've, I don't know if I made this joke before on the podcast, but I often say marketing for professional services is different from other kinds of B2B marketing in that it's everything you do in B2B marketing, but then with extra complexity and bullshit on top of it. I like your 50, yeah. 50 ratio. Yeah. Because you have to be so good at the stakeholder management and the, um, how should it, the politics, right? Because you have to build, you have to get buy-in, you have to build support, you have to educate people, all that stuff, because everything that is theoretically up for debate in a matrix organization full of smart people will be debated. Exactly. That's just the yeah, reality and of it, right? And not, so there's wait, no wait. command and control. Yeah. So, Flo, uh, it's not just the debated part. Sometimes they'd go ahead and do it without debating. And then you have oh, to debate, yeah, on, yeah, right. you have to debate <laughs> on it, was this the right thing and should we continue? Yeah. Because it's all, there's always a policy across several professional services firms is like, do it first and ask for forgiveness later. Did, did you know Duh. that stuff before? Did, did you know that stuff from financial services as well, Scott? I'm curious. Or was that like a culture shock? How, how was it? In, in insurance before? In insurance before, I worked for a company which had about 600 people in it. Uh, and I went to working for a company at that point, which had 450,000 people in it um, and had a lot of more layers of bureaucracy, but at the same time, a lot more layers of opportunity. Uh, yeah. I have always enjoyed the interaction with people uh, and especially working in marketing, I always enjoyed that it gave you access to the, the, the most senior people in the business immediately, whereas the other layers of the business probably wouldn't have that access. And so I've always tried to uh, ensure that the skills that I have around people uh, to build that trust and build a rapport very quickly and to, and to demonstrate your worth very quickly. So I do enjoy it in a way. It's challenging when uh, I, I, I can't connect with somebody on a personal level because that's what I feel it opens doors for, for you. Yeah. You know, not to the 50-50 ratio. It's not just the theory that you can come up with, but it's the relationship that you can build on a personal level as well. I was just basically uh, just going to ask, based upon what you said there, like, so for someone who's trying to break into professional services, especially on like corporate functions like marketing or comp site, what would you tell them that they need to bring? Mm, what they need to bring? Strong sense of masochism. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say mm, in professional services. Okay. What I think is that you need to have, you need to have enough confidence, but you need to have humility as well. You can't always think that you're going to get it right the first time when you have so many cooks in the kitchen. To your point, Ash, before is that everything is going to be debated. You need to remain flexible um, to incorporate everybody's input in a way that doesn't grind things to a halt. You have to be able to take a lot of feedback on and incorporate it, but at the same time, have your own, um, use your own ability to lead in order to keep things moving ahead. So you have to be able to deal with complexity and you have to expect complexity and thrive in that, in that environment. That's probably one um, thing that I would say you need a piece of advice. 
Uh, I would also say, especially as you sort of move up in the in the firm, you need to you need you need to take things seriously, but you need to take it not too seriously that it's going to um, beat you down because you will have a lot of people in the room who are very smart and and people will want um, to have their own opinion and sometimes um, will try and use their own opinion to uh, get ahead or influence you maybe you what or influence you perhaps exactly but there are yeah I, I would say try and don't ever snap back try and bring a little bit of energy and positivity into the into your role even when you feel that things are not going your way because you need to pick your battles very wisely mm -hmm. um, yeah. and because in my in my opinion and it goes back to what we're talking about people want to work with people that they like and people that they can be you know with any of your, your people so that's another thing go in expecting that you need to play the political game but at the same time try and make friends don't think about it like you are playing the politics just try and make friends uh and it will serve you which, which is very interesting, and this, this is coming back to what I wanted to, to inject earlier, Ash. Um, it's, it's very interesting for me to hear, Scott, you talk about very much about the, the soft skills, the relationship building, um, much, much more than the actual sort of technical marketing work. But I, it's th that's interesting to me. And also this perspective, and I just wanted to call that out again, which you said there, that um, having the opportunity to, to get exposure to senior leadership almost directly which i think is particularly true if you start in an internal comms role like like you did right because you directly work with the people who need the strategy communicate it and and i think to me and and i maybe want to ask you to to react to this i think that's that's also what you get out of it is over time what you learn is to to do we called it politics we could also say diplomacy or stakeholder mm -hmm. management or whatever mm -hmm. you you build the skill to make stuff happen within a complex organization, mm. which is different, which is different from you're just the creative guy who's very good at executing campaign stuff. Someone else briefs you on, right? Yeah. Because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta advise the business. You find budget for your own initiatives. All that type of stuff, I think, is very, very useful um, elsewhere. If you want to go elsewhere, yeah. and, you know, and uh... professional services is probably one of the best schools to learn it in terms of industries, right? To do marketing in, I, I don't know how you guys see that, but that's always how I always so, thought about it. Yeah. So Scott, just connecting with Flo's point, when you look at large firms, when you like often, you may not have the full budget to run your program, but you know that it benefits other groups. So you end up having to tin cup to get the entire budget to run your run a particular program. And then at the same time, Sometimes you may have the budget, but you need to make sure that it gets into the right groups. And to do that, you need to lobby. You know, they have all their, you know, key programs that they themselves need to run. And then you're going in there with, hey, I need you to do this one as well. So yeah. how do you find that in a large organization? Like, how do you find both elements? Because it is like, it's all about the relationship building aspect that you, you've been talking about. Yeah, uh, I mean... That's it. It really goes back to leveraging the relationships. I I would go into a, a room where I don't know people with low expectations about how I'm going to sell them into a program which they are going to have to come under. 
um, and without much evidence. If I have the relationships, I can leverage those in order to do it. At the same time, I have often, and sometimes to my detriment, but often to my benefit, spent budget before I had the money and it's come back and it's been okay. Back to the point about ask for forgiveness and not permission. Sometimes you will get stuck in endless approvals because it's very difficult to sell creative concepts into technical people. And the business is being led by very technical people. And so to to sell in uh, an engaging concept is very difficult for them. So you have to, in some ways, take the risk and build it to a point that they can see it rather than explain it. So that's how I've, I've gone about it in many ways. I've sort of taken the risk and gone ahead and done it myself um, and built it to a point that I can sell it in and people will follow me rather than me asking, telling them to follow. It's sort of like, yeah. hey, I've got this cool thing, follow me. Uh, if you want to also take part in it rather than stop doing your thing because it's not as cool as what I have. If that makes sense. It, it, it does to me. And this is actually the reason why we wanted to discuss this somewhat amorphous career, how to shape a topic with you, because I, I have you down for a guy who does things this way. And to me, um, if, I, if I can sort of overdo it and, and summarize it like this, I think what you're describing is the ways in which being a professional services marketer actually teaches you a CMO skill set. Because of the complexity of the organization, there's not much command and control structure. Sometimes, particularly in smaller firms, maybe not so much Accenture, but things aren't as mature and systematized. Yeah. So you have to do what, like if you, if I listen to you, you're constantly describing how do I get, how do I talk to people, understand them, maybe like you said, convince them to come under my program, these types of things. To me, that's actually, that's much less to do with marketing than it has to do with leadership. So mm. um, if people ask me if they should, to ask point, if they should start in professional services or pick a role there, I always tell them they should go for it because you learn all that stuff and you correct me if, if I'm wrong guys, but you mm. learn that from a pretty early stage because it's very much a problem of, I don't know, associate marketer, associate manager in Accenture has to cope with stuff in similar ways you describe yeah. here, Scott. Yeah. Yes. Whereas if, if I work in the automotive industry, problems like these might occur once I step up to director level or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think it's a very good school to go to, if you will. Um, the, the consultancy marketing field for that particular type of stuff. Definitely. And you pointed that out, all this wrestling, dealing with convincing, you always have to do with very smart, very analytical, and often also critical people, right? Yeah. Yep. Consultants, right? <laughs> That's very technically adept, very, very inquisitive minds, right? And you've got to, that trains you to not just do what you describe, but it also teaches you to do it at a certain level of, I'm not going to say excellent, but you, you know what I mean. It's, it yeah, has I mean, to be well thought out, whatever you put out in terms of argumentation and stuff. Exactly. That's just data and representation. Yeah. yeah that's a different aspect on its own. Mm -hmm. No, but can you, I wanted to, there's one last thing I wanted to touch upon, um, Scott, because um, I'm curious because I don't know, but, but you moved around the house quite a bit, right? You switched roles a few times and could you talk a little bit about that? Like, where has it, where has the journey taken you and do you any insights or, or points you'd like to make around that idea of switching roles within the firm? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, as I, as I said, I started in the UK and Ireland and, and through the relationships that I built in that, um, 
in that time in London, I sort of moved my way into a more global role. Um, I am very fortunate for how I started out and the support that I have because I was able to start out small and sort of grow my um, the amount of people that I was responsible for engaging. My experience is that uh, I thrive in 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 sort of the middle. I, okay. I realize that in a global role, it is extremely hard to create a level of engagement because there are a few things which can which you can leverage um, at an international level. It's very difficult. It's even difficult in Europe because you have 26 different languages and you have different cultures and, and everything, but at least you have a geographical, mm-hmm. um, you have a geographical um, concept that you can rally people around. I, I guess that that is my experience with moving around. It's always been very interesting and it's enabled me to grow, but I sort of know where I find, where I operate best yeah so touching upon all that now i'm just gonna ask you something right not exactly random but here like can you just tell me something you love and something you hate about being involved in the sphere of professional services we're not talking about like in any specific company or anything we're just asking what do you love and hate about being involved in this space what i love is that i can use that the people trust me with their money to create really cool things and I can see my idea come to life and engage thousands of people. I love it. it it's almost like a sense of power uh, that I can get words and images and concepts out there to so many people um, and people trust me to do it. They trust me with their money. Um, what I hate is, um, hate is a very strong word. Dislike. Let's go with dislike. Excel. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate... I, was, I, was, I was trying to bet what you were going to say in my head. I did not think of Excel, but okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. No, I hate when um, sometimes detail, the level of detail that is needed is the antithesis of creativity if people need you to be so detail oriented um that you can't be conceptual and you can't sell a vision then, then that creates a very difficult situation oh, but you need to i find like that it. point yeah i like that point and i think I you should have, call that out yeah i, I would have gone I, with like forms or excel because i thought that might be raise, raising purchase orders would have been my bad <laughs> and all that kind of stuff yeah no because i have yet to find a person who actually enjoys those but anyways um i like the i like the the point you just made there implicitly scott which is i think people will find that 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 is also very true if you work in a consultancy they they will bring you in to be creative and conceptual because conceptual because that's what they that's what they think they need or that's what they like to bring in because don't mean to offend any consultants but the typical feeling is that is what the organization is missing so they hire someone to deal yeah. with that part. But then on the other hand, you the implicit expectation is that you're also sort of good 
in dealing in all these matters, consultants typically do, to your point, Excel, right? Visualizing yeah. data, running spreadsheets, having tight reporting on your budgets and these types of things. And this is, um, I just point this out there because I found that that is a part where uh, that takes a bit of getting used to if you come from certain positions uh, in agency land, for example, from the outside into a oh. consulting firm. Um, at least in my experience and, and from conversations I've had with people. If now if you've been up the ladder in agency land and you run an agency office or a PL and so forth, by definition you have to do that stuff, almost that shit yeah. as part of your job, you'll you'll be fine. But sort yeah. of junior and mid-level people, if they come in from agency land where they were doing the work and did the creative stuff and all the admin burden they ever had was filling out their own timesheets, they typically run into that stuff head first and it can be a bit of a struggle, right? But before yeah. you understand it. Yeah. But it's a necessity of the role. And I understand sure. that level of detail to bring people along with the journey. It's just, it's a difficult thing to marry creativity. Oh yeah, and then... Mm -hmm. Not a comment on Accenture, but I do see cases where people spend 20 bucks worth of effort to report on three bucks of marketing budget. Yeah. <laughs> so that stuff exists, right? Exactly. You need That's it a, a common industry issue, yeah. to be fair, because people don't really yeah, understand. Sure. No, it's a cost center issue in business, I've, because I've seen this not just within professional services. I've seen that in others as well. True. These issues exist everywhere, so it's probably not a reason for you to to leave the professional services world, right? Mm -hmm. But you seem to have strong reasons to to actually stay in there. Can I ask in, in in closing, maybe? Can we haven't asked, but what is your job right now? And do you want to? I don't know if you have anything to plug, but is there anything you're working on right now? You're excited on right now? You'd, you'd ask people to check out, or besides your LinkedIn page or whatever, I don't know. Just just let me know. Maybe in order, what is it? What does your job entail right now? And anything you want point, to point people towards? Mm. Sure. Yeah. So my, my role is people engagement role for technology Europe. So that means you have a, you have a marketing, you're part of the marketing communications organization. You have an internal communications role. And so we can't disclose numbers or anything, but guessing by the overall vast size of Accenture and you being responsible for Europe, I'm guessing that means you're, you're driving quite big programs. Programs, yes. In terms of size, right? Well, at the moment, my job is really about uh, launching um, FY23 and the strategy that uh, is going to get us to where we need to be at the end of FY23. At, this, at, the, at the other end of the scale, I would say we call it people engagement, but it's, all, it's always about message connecting. That's how I see it. So everybody is sort of singing from the same songbook. Um, and that's what I'm, uh, that's what I see my job as being and making people feel they have a, a say in how we can achieve what we want to achieve from the Europe level to the German level to the everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I did that justice, to be honest. And where can people reach out to, you know, find, you know, talk to you, find more about you? Just LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn, absolutely. Nice. I think that was a that was a great that was a great run through. Do you have any Do you have any favorite? Like, sorry to put you on the spot, but any 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 single resource you think people could pick up? Like, did you read a book, come across a thing, or? Matt yeah, something I can help people. Yeah. 
that made me a better internal comms or marketing guy. I'm, look, I'm just trying to think about what on this bookshelf actually helped me do this, but I don't know. I don't know. That's a really difficult question. All right. Um, okay. So maybe this one. Um, there is, I remember when I did my master's, I did a master's in commerce and I finished that in 2012. I remember in that master's reading about this thing called chaos theory. And it's all about how nature works in that yeah. often it feels like there is no order to what is happening, but out of that disorder comes a plant or a flower, you know, yeah. a, a lily grows from a pond that's full of, you know, soggy stuff that I, I often use that when I feel that there is chaos and nobody is, and there's no harmony. Um, I, I go back to the chaos theory um, and use that and think order will come of this, beauty can still come of this. Uh, I would encourage people to read about chaos theory. That's probably the one thing I would. That is yeah. very cool because I did not expect that at all, but I like the, uh, it goes well with the other stuff you said, I think. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, cool. Whoa, I guess we've had a close. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop the recording here and, and I wish Wait, you we need to record an intro. Friday. Fuck, I didn't say the intro. No, so let, let's do the outro and intro because we didn't record either. Yes, yeah. the outro is just going to be flow. Uh, flow will just say, "I'm stopping the recording." I'll That's stop the recording here, and, and I wish you guys a happy, happy Friday. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us.